Thursday, February 3rd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. All right, we've got cleaner air in New York City, and we've got overwhelming optimism from Kodak's CEO, but we're going to begin today with some strong retail earnings. Limited posted much better than expected earnings, and the stock was up sharply today. Also beating expectations, Zoomies, Wet Seal, and the much maligned Gap, or at least it's much maligned in this studio. Uh, Charlie Travers, what's going on with the retailers? Oh, yes, Chris. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I've been bearish on the U.S. consumer for the past few years uh, with high unemployment and spending restraint coming out of the recession. But the numbers we're seeing over the uh, past month are saying that the U.S. consumer is a lot stronger than analysts thought and that I thought personally. So what we're seeing across the board, uh, first from the credit card companies, Visa, MasterCard, and Amex, is that U.S. consumer spending is very strong. And then when we take that over to the retail side of the equation, uh, it's not surprising that these numbers are up across the board. Um, and is, I think they did all plus four comps in uh, January with uh, the limited uh, reporting particularly surprising results. James? If, is U.S. consumer really stronger or just dumber? I mean, if these numbers are coming from <laughs> Visa and Amex, if we're spending more on our credit cards, uh, you know, we think the, 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 the party's back on. Is, is it really? Well, that, that's a very fair question. And I would say from the perspective of the retailer, uh, you know, they don't really care as long as the consumer is spending this month. But do you care, Charlie? Uh, no, no. You don't care? Okay. No, no I'm a die-hearted capitalist. Um, <laughs> and so the limited in particular, they reported 24% same-store sales growth in the month of January, which was driven by their brand, Victoria's Secret, which was up 35%. Uh, for a mature concept with a 1,000 stores, you will never see a number like that. And so you have to wonder what was going on. And my first inclination was um, not really being in tune with fashion trends was maybe last year women were going commando and then this year they decided to reverse course and say my girls need a house um but that really wasn't the situation um it was part of the timing of the, the pg version yeah of their uh, shift of the victoria's secret semi-annual sale um the first day moved into january this year when last year was in december and that contributed uh, greatly to the gain as well as their valentine's day uh program okay so so the the numbers that we're seeing with victoria's secret this is it sounds like what you're saying is this is a one-time event. They shifted their semi-annual sale. It's a one-time event. It, it looks as much as anything to be a timing thing, but certainly the demand is very strong. You don't buy houses too often. No. <laughs> Charlie, am I right in thinking that you put more research into this particular <laughs> issue than the normal you know, stock that, that just passes your radar? Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, what would you make of the retail numbers? Well, the retail numbers have been pretty good uh, again, uh, as they have been actually for uh, for several months. I think it's it's got certain amount to do with sort of restocking by the consumer. There were a lot of delayed purchases. Uh, I know if you go around the street, you've probably, Charlie, been noticing just how poorly people were dressing. It was awful. Every, yeah, everybody <laughs> needs that. to finally <laughs> upgrade uh, their wardrobe. So I don't know if I would look at this so much as, as a trend that is going to continue as a, a sort of lagged effect uh, from people uh, having delayed their purchases before. Uh, just to put a wrap on the retail story, let's just go around the table real quick. What's what's a retail stock that's on your radar? Bill, I'll start with you. Uh, today, I guess uh, Costco, they had uh, great numbers. I think they were uh, same store uh, sales were up uh, 8%. So that, that's fantastic numbers for that company. And uh, 
uh, one that uh, you know has been in the Motley Fool universe uh, often, and, uh, and and will be again soon on on the radio. I think that's right. Jim Senegal, CEO of Costco, will be our guest on Motley Fool Money next week. Uh, Charlie, stock on your radar? Sure. A company from Hidden Gems Land that we like a lot is called Asina Retail, as formerly known as Dress Barn. Very unsexy stock, um, but the family owns a big chunk of the business. So you got a owner manager kind of situation, and the business just generates a ton of cash year in and year out. James? You know, Chris, I'll first nod to Walmart because I think it's essentially a bet on humanity, and, and, and I don't want to bet against that. But, but I also like <laughs> on behalf um, of Walmart <laughs> equals humanity. <laughs> on, on behalf of humanity, thank you for not betting against us. <laughs> I, also, I, I do like the limited, and I also like American Eagle. Those are both dividend stocks in the retail universe, and that's sort of a rare thing. Uh, Leslie Wexner founded the limited in, what, 1968, and he's you know been there a million years, and, and, and he held he held back a little bit on, on, on unloading some of the brands, but I think it's, it's certainly a very good company going forward as well. New York City's anti-smoking laws just got tougher. On Wednesday, the City Council passed a law that will ban smoking in New York City parks, beaches, and Times Square. Uh, so, James, uh, there's some obvious health benefits, but we're a business show, so what does it mean for investors? Well, uh, Chris, let me just say first, if there's one phrase that's music to my ears, it is smoking ban. Um, you know, I am I am pretty anti-smoking, I think. I, I mean, I, I like smokers as people. Um, I do not like smoking. Um, I think they should have some kind of smoking helmet that they can put on and doesn't, <laughs> like, m- you know, migrate into like any a surround. Exactly. Or maybe like a tube where you walk in and be in the company of other smokers and the smoke is blasting around you, but it doesn't uh, migrate beyond that. But anyhow, uh, on the investing end, Jeremy Siegel, this is a Wharton professor, has, has uh, written so, a, a lot about tobacco stocks in his books. And, and his point is pretty clear that despite regulation, despite health hazards, despite high taxes, uh, and, 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 and despite low investor expectations, tobacco stocks have been some of the best performing stocks of the past 30, 40, 50 years. If you put a, a $1,000, Chris, into Philip Morris in 1980, You'd have, if you reinvested your dividends, $220,000 today, and you'd be getting $9,000 a year. Chris, why didn't payments. you do that in 1980? <laughs> uh, you know, 19, you idiot. Uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, Charlie, what did you think of this story? Oh, yeah. I think James's comment about smokers wearing helmets really fits the story because I would say this gives New York the award of being the most fascist state in the country. <laughs> now, and that is a problem. Why? <laughs> I, I, I'm not a pro smoker. Um, I don't smoke. I wouldn't advocate anybody smoke. But but if you look at New York's history of they, what they've done over the past decade, they banned trans fats in 2006, and then they started uh, fighting the use of salt in restaurants. And with the state, it's just one thing after another where they are coming after um, what you know people should really have the freedom to use. And you know the latest thing is uh, banning the purchase of soda with food stamps, and it's just it's out of control, nanny state over there. Bill. Well, you know, I, I was talking to James earlier. What, what about the, you know, the Don Draper effect? I know that probably all of our wives have been encouraging us to smoke so that we would have one thing in common <laughs> with, with Don Draper. And I, I, how do you stand up to that? And, and what about the weaker-willed men out there who, who see that as a path to well, some sort that, of that is a, class? A, a difficult quandary, I, I would say. I mean, I don't, first of all, the only TV I used to watch was, was Beverly Hills 90210, as, as listeners know. And, and so, so I'm not as familiar. This is from Mad Men. Didn't that, one of the kids right? on that show you, you know, TV gotten better since those days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know, but maybe I'll, I'll take a look. Um, I know I, I can just say w- w- with my kid, if he even looks at a cigarette, I'm going to punch him. So oh. there's just no way. <laughs> it's just it's just not going to be part of our family. I mean, I, I think that's you have to start nipping the bud. 
And finally, the glasses half full award goes to Antonio Perez, the CEO of Kodak, who has predicted that 2012 will be a turning point for his company. Kodak recently posted its third straight annual loss. Its traditional film business is rapidly shrinking. And guys, I think it's charitable to say that it was late to the digital party. Uh, Bill Barker, shares of Kodak, down more than 80% over the last five years. Do you think Perez is right? Is 2012 the year they, 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 we see a turning point? Well, uh, 2012, that's the year that everything ends, isn't it? I mean, why not, <laughs> Nostradamus. Why, why not put that, you know, out as well, you know, if, if the Earth's around by then, we'll, we'll, we'll finally be profitable. Uh, I suppose anything could happen. I mean, uh, Kodak has been saying for about 15 years now that they're going to be able to successfully uh, morph into a digital uh, company rather than uh, relying uh, primarily on the silver halide film uh, business, which nobody really uses anymore. So you could have gone back 13, 15 years and seen that uh, Kodak was really not going to survive in its in its current state, and it, and it hasn't. It sells about a, a third as much today as it did uh, 15 years ago. And the trend continues to look bad. Uh, I don't know. If, if I had to put uh, my money on who's going to be around longer, Kodak or uh, four-pack-a-day, 30-year uh, smoker, uh, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed <laughs> to, uh, to bet on either of them. Uh, Charlie, James, what do you think? Is there, is there any hope for Kodak? If, if five years from now Kodak is successful, um, how have they done it? Or is that just a, a too bizarre a scenario to envision? There's not a good track record of businesses <laughs> reinventing themselves. And that's essentially what Kodak has to do. I mean, it's, digital is kind of a different business, so I'm, I'm not optimistic. Charlie? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they're really behind the eight ball in digital, behind uh, companies like Nikon and Canon, and I really don't see them uh, turning the ship. It's yeah. kind of like the Titanic at this point. They'll make the, the, the CVS <laughs> brand camera or something. Right, 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 right. Yeah, Your disposable, bucks, yeah. crappy little cameras. Yeah, it would be a, a really, really poor man's version of, of Canon or HP or something. That, that's basically making printers and, and little cards and has Because no, that's a great yeah. business. Well, <laughs> it, 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 you know, HP's turned things around a little bit, but, you know, they could be a business. It's it's just their brand. What what we grew up thinking of is, is going to have no relevance to any anybody that's purchasing their products in their next, you know, their next life. Right now, Kodak has a market cap of just under a billion dollars. The New York Times market cap is about 1.4 billion radio shack 1.7 billion so of those three companies as a standalone public company radio shack new york times kodak which one do you think is going to be the first to die as a standalone public company bill as a standalone public company i'd, I'd go with kodak will be the first one to die and then radio shack charlie I, I would go with actually Radio Shack first. I remember being in the 80s and buying like a little transistor radio set from them. And I can't imagine what this company even does today except for sell like mobile things. It's like, who doesn't do that? Where can't you get it? And uh, I think they don't really have the brand value that the other two companies do. And they're going to go down first. James? I, I would like to malign Radio Shack as well. <laughs> and I, I suppose I will. But, you know, I'm going to go with, with, with New York Times because media has some of the most bizarre, non-level-headed investors of any industry. People just completely irrational. Uh, so, like, so like Warren Buffett in the Washington Post? Maybe. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the exception. But, uh, so yes, yeah, some wacko is gonna, with a lot of money is going to buy out New York Times. No, no. Family. It's controlled. by, by well, the, he will the, control the it too. It, it's just they don't have the same or, or financial could, could. need 
to either run the business for a profit, which yeah. they've successfully managed to avoid for a long time <laughs> now, uh, and and it's just a different dynamic where you've got a family that can withstand you know market forces and and doesn't have to bow down particularly to its shareholders basically. Uh, having talked about uh, which company is going to die first, let's end on a, a slightly uh, more upbeat note. Charlie, your lovely wife Brandy is a photographer. Any photography tips for someone like me who basically can barely hold a camera? Yes, I would say uh, I'm not a good photographer, so I get this all through osmosis. Um, <laughs> one of the uh, you know big crimes of photography is uh, just poor composition. You chop the top of somebody's head off, or you know it's just the angle's wrong. And so if you look at some of the rules, like a rule of thirds, where you can chop the frame up into pieces, and it'll tell you where uh, to put the object of interest to be the most aesthetically appealing. And that's something anybody with any camera can do. So don't chop off heads. Is what that's I'm, right. Is, that's what I'm hearing. Bill, does that make sense to you? Take the lens cap off. Right. That's also that's okay. also useful. James, anything? You know, yeah, the, the, the Fibonacci sequence or the golden mean. I think Charles, is that what you're talking about? Whoa, 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 what? Rule of thirds. <laughs> you know, this, it's kind of bizarre, but but it's this pattern that occurs in so many things. And I know about it from bonsai design. Like when you're when you're uh, shaping your bonsai tree, you have these certain proportions, and I think they're they're sort of like a three by five card is inherently aesthetically pleasing to the eye. And the same thing is true for for well composed photography shots. Like the person is like not dead center, maybe a third of the way, two thirds of the way. To the, to the right or to the left in the shot, for instance. I know about the Fibonacci sequence from the Da Vinci Code, which is, I'm, I'm guessing, how the average person knows about it, but that's just me. Anyone? Da Vinci Code? No? I'm, Barker, you're just, like, staring. I won't help you out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to admit that you read the Da Vinci Code, then you're out on your own. <laughs> oh, oh, I saw the movie, too. All right, <laughs> Bill Barker, Charlie Travers, James Early. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank As you always, much. people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy the Super Bowl and check out Motley Fool Money. Our guest this week, best-selling author Michael Lewis. If you gave me a million years to guess what was going to come out of yeah. your mouth, I would never guess I'm just that. Gonna, I'm just going to go on a You don't have to answer this, but I'm guessing you heard that in your own home. <laughs>